You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Good morning. It's good to be here. It's hard to believe it's been a year since I've been here. Um, if you remember last year this time, I got to speak and preach, and um, our grandson was on the way. And I said that um, what I really want from everyone is their airline miles, their frequent flyer miles, so that I could go visit my grandson. And uh, it's been an interesting year, right? Isn't our outlook today much different than it was last November? Very different. Um, it's been a really good season for us. We actually left to go visit our grandson, and they closed the border. Our only home is in Mexico, and um, we got locked out for five months. And uh, it sounds terrible, but that meant I got five months with my grandson. So it was good for us. Um, we're very thankful. We actually get to go see him again tomorrow. So we're looking forward to that. Um, we're, we're talking about moving forward. And as I've thought about moving forward, and Ryan assigned me the text of Second Corinthians 8 and 9. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's going to take us a minute to get there. Um, I just wanted to, I, w- I was reminded of moving forward, like we really need the truth in order to move forward. If we don't know what is true, we cannot move forward. And so if we're, we're blinded to the truth, or if we're believing a lie, or if we're walking in a partial truth, we are not going to move forward as wonderful witnesses to the grace of God in our life. So what we need is truth. And we live in a society that says the only absolute truth is that there is no absolute truth. And that's kind of ironic, but that's really the world we live in. And so if you say, hey, there's a line in the sand, this is true and this is false, you're going to be called hated, hateful, you're going to be called all kinds of bad names. But the fact is, the Word of God is true, and we need that truth in order to move forward. We need to testify to the grace of God, and we can't do that without the truth. And so we're talking about 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of an interview I saw a while back with a pastor and his elders. And I don't remember who said what, but the interview went something like this. The the pastor said to his elder, hey, you, um, you know my living situation. Why do you pay me so much money? You know, this is how it's intended to work, is the elders decide the pastor's salary. It's like, you know the cost of living, you know my season and station in life, you know where I'm at, and and you pay me, you know that, right? You pay me way more than I need to live on. And the elder responded, it's a test. And the pastor said, what do you mean it's a test? He says, you get up and you preach to us every week, you proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to us every week but we wanted to give you more than you needed to see if you actually believed what you preach to us every week. How you spent the extra reflects what you actually believe. There's, a, there's some weight to that truth. So we, can, we can say whatever we want, but how we live and how we walk indicates what we truly believe. There's a um, uh, China Inland Mission... What's his title here? The Home Director of the United Kingdom for China Inland Mission says it this way. Nothing offers so practical a test to our love for Christ or our love for others as does our attitude to money and possessions. Nor does anything so test our claim to be delivered from this present evil world. The world asks us how much we own. Christ asks how we use it. The world thinks of getting more and Christ speaks of giving more. The world wants to know what we give. Christ wants to know how we give. The former thinks of an amount. The latter thinks of a motive. Man asks how much we give. The Bible asks how much we keep. To the unconverted, money is a means of gratification. 
to the converted a means of grace, to the one an opportunity for comfort, and to another an opportunity of consecration. John in 1 John says it this way, By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. One more, James says it this way. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself does not have works, it is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Those four, those two scriptures, that missionary story and that pastor story set the stage for 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. If you have a Bible, turn there. We're going to put it on the screen. We really don't have time to read both chapters, but it really could be one chapter. There's one theme, one subject. There's one message that Paul is trying to communicate. And it's important, I'm going to give a little context, and we're just going to focus in on the first nine verses. Chapter 8, verse 1 through 9. And so Paul is a pastor. And so Paul, the church started in the first century in Jerusalem, Paul left and he went around all the ancient cities and he would get together anyone who would listen to him and he would proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And whoever would receive that news would continue to meet with Paul and a church would be formed. And so it'd be a small community of believers and he would teach them and edify them and, and um, teach them the word of God, instruct them in the word of God. And as the uh, church grew, leaders would rise up, and Paul would appoint, appoint them as elders and pastors to lead the church. And this is how churches were formed. It's very much like it's formed today. You get together, you preach the gospel, people receive it, elders are formed. And then when Paul would do that, he would leave, and he would go to another city and start all over again. And then he would leave and start. A, and so if you have in the back of your Bible, Paul's missionary journeys, this is what he's doing. He's traveling from city to city, planting churches, raising up elders, and then going and starting all over again. And as he was doing this, the first church in Jerusalem where Christianity started was suffering terribly. They were being persecuted by the Jewish because they had renounced Judaism and they had accepted Christ as their Savior. Okay, And so they were being persecuted by their Jewish brothers and sisters. And then the Romans were oppressing them. And so the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem had it really difficult. They were suffering. They, had, they lost their jobs. They lost their homes, they lost their family, they lost everything, but yet they would not renounce Christ. And so they were in a really bad spot. So as Paul would go around to these different cities and plant a church, he would say, hey, remember your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem and collect an offering. Take up an offering for them, and myself or Titus or Timothy, we're going to take it back and we're going to bless them because we want to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters, and we want to see the good news of Jesus Christ continue to move forward. So if that makes sense, that's the setting that we're stepping into. And so when the Corinthian church, the church in Corinth, heard this from Paul, they were the first ones that raised their hand and said, yes, we want to do that. We want to take up a collection, and we want to bless our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. After Paul left, some false leaders came in, some false teachers, and they really messed up the church. And that's what 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is addressing. 
And so these leaders came in and they renounced Paul and they said, Paul, you're upside down. You don't listen to him, listen to us. And they really got the Corinthians off track. And so the Corinthian church was the first one to say, yes, we want to take up a collection. When the false leaders came in, that kind of went by the wayside. They lost sight of the prize and now they're all distracted and they, they neglected to do it. And so Paul takes these two chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 9, and addresses this issue of, hey, what happened? And he uses the, church in the, the churches in Macedonia as an example. And what's fascinating is later in chapter 9 he says, um, the Macedonian churches were inspired by the Corinthian church. So the Corinthians were a witness to the Macedonian churches. But then they got off track, and now the Macedonian church, Paul's going to use to inspire and encourage as an example to the Corinthian church. I know that's a lot, but hopefully that makes a little bit of sense. So we're jumping into the story now. This is a letter written by Paul, a pastor that planted this church. He loves these people dearly. And he is writing to them, and he is saying, hey, look at what the Macedonians have done. Do what they did. Okay? So read along with me. Chapter 8, verse 1 through 9. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but, as, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. First thing we want to notice in this text is that Paul is commending the Macedonians' behavior. He is using them as an example. They're saying the Macedonian church is an example. Corinthians, you do the same thing. So he is commending what they have done. And if you look at those adjectives he uses, that's quite a scenario. Extreme poverty, severe affliction, so try and put yourself in the, in, the, in the shoes of the Macedonian church. Severe affliction, extreme poverty, like they have their own level of suffering going on, and yet they are begging earnestly for the opportunity to give. And it says to give beyond even their means, which means they wanted to give in such a way that it was sacrificial. David in the Psalm, King David says, you know, I'm not going to give to the Lord something that doesn't cost me anything. I want to give something that costs because of my love for the Lord. Not because he requires it, but because that's how much I love the Lord. This is what the Macedonians are doing. They're living in an extreme suffering, poverty-stricken situation themselves, but because of the grace of God in their lives, they give and they give big. And so Paul is commending this. So if we put ourselves in that, try and put ourselves in their shoes, what what would our response be? I was trying to think of how to, how to correlate this to 2020. So imagine if you're a parent, imagine your child comes to you or imagine a loved one comes to you, someone you know their situation and it's really not that great. They're really not in a position to, to give 
generously. You know, they themselves need some help. They themselves are not doing very well. And they come to you and they say, hey, we want to give and we want to give big. Can I please give big? Are we going to applaud them and say, yeah, let's do that. That's great. If your little Jimmy or little Sally comes to you and, and they want to give something away, are we going to commend them and applaud them? Or are we going to be like, okay, hold, hold on a second. Like, is that the wise thing to do? I'm not sure that's good stewardship. You know, all of a sudden we're going to get real spiritual about it. I, I face this, my wife and I face this every day with our ministry in, in Mexico. Um, I kind of thought I was a generous person until I moved to Mexico and partnered with a man named Tony. Uh, if you've been down there, or if you have not been down there, come down there and spend a week with Tony. And he, he defines generosity. And, and there's so many stories, but we, we kind of have to wrestle with this. Because Tony will, will need something. He'll need to go to the doctor's appointment. So we'll take ministry money and we'll say, okay, here, here Tony, here's a couple hundred dollars, go to the doctor. And the next day, hey, Tony, how'd the doctor visit go? I didn't make it. I'm like, why didn't you make it? He's like, I didn't have any money. I'm like, wait a minute, I just gave you money yesterday for the doctor. I was on my way to the doctor, and there was this family, and they needed it more than I did. So I have to catch myself there for a second. Like, I gave you money for the doctor, you need to go to the doctor. And he's like, no, this family needed it more than I did. Right? I remember one time he had a pair of shoes donated, and he loved this pair of shoes. And they wore out, and they got thrown away because they had holes in them. And so we worked, and it was, it was a, a decent amount of uh, money for this pair of shoes. And we found them on sale, and we kind of worked, and we got him this, another pair of shoes just like it because we knew he loved it. So he goes out with some people, and he comes back that night, and he's barefoot. We're like, Tony, where are your shoes? He's like, oh, there's a guy at the ice cream shop, didn't have any shoes, I gave him mine. I'm like, Tony, quit giving everything away, Right? There's something, there's something in our hearts. And so what Paul is commending, something in my heart kind of wants to condemn. Right? And I just confess, this is a safe place, so don't leave me up here alone. Like, we all have a little bit of that in us, don't we? Like, we get real impulsive when we spend. Yeah, absolutely, let's just spend it. But when it comes to giving, all of a sudden, we need to slow down and we need to get real spiritual about it. I saw this in our uh, ministry this last week. We did a big music room for our youth ministry, and we're uh, inviting a whole bunch of people to participate financially in it. And, and there was one particular um, person that's been involved and been generous, but they sent me a note and said, hey, I'm really praying about how I can be involved in the supporting financially the music ministry. So praying about it, right? Being real spiritual. And then two days later, I see a post on their social media and it's a selfie face, big monster, uh, big screen TV in the back seat. Like, you're never going to believe it wasn't even Black Friday, but I made the store honor the Black Friday sale. And super passionate, didn't spend any time praying about it, had to get the big screen TV because it's just like, you can't pass up on a deal on a big screen TV, right? But to save a kid's life and to introduce him to Jesus Christ, I need some time to pray about it. And so we, we all have a little bit in our hearts. And so this is why Paul is commending the behavior of the Macedonians because they are for their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So where do we land? Paul says later on in 2 Corinthians to examine ourselves. Where do, where do we land? Are, are we applauding that generosity? Or is there something in us that's holding back? Secondly, Paul is compelling 
the Corinthians. He's using the Macedonians as an example, and he is compelling the Corinthians to follow their example. And I want to compare that word compelling to command. In verse 7, he says, this is not a command. I'm not commanding you. What is he doing? He is compelling. And if we understand the difference between those two, we'll understand what Paul is doing, and we'll understand how to apply it to our lives today. There's a big difference between commanding and compelling, right? He is in a position of authority. He has the right. He is in a leadership spot. He can command them to do it. But what's the result of him commanding? Hey, take up a collection and give some money. Well, big deal. They take up a collection and the Jewish, uh, the Christian brothers and sisters in, in Jerusalem get some money and that's it. But that Paul loves these people. He loves the Corinthians and he is pastoring them. And he is growing them and edifying them and correcting them. So he's not commanding them to a certain behavior. What Paul understands and what we need to understand is our behavior is a result of who we belong to. And who we belong to is a result of what we believe. Pastor Ryan says it this way, our identity determines our behavior. So our behavior, the fact that if we're stingy, if we're closed-fisted, if we're not generous... That's a result of our identity, and our identity is a result of what we believe to be true. And so Paul is commending the Macedonians because their behavior, their generous, crazy generous behavior, is a result of what they believe to be true. They're acting on what they believe to be true. They have been set free by the truth of Jesus Christ, and they are free to give. And so he is compelling God's word is telling the Corinthians. He's telling North Valley Community Church. He's telling I-6-8. He's telling you and he's telling me to follow the example of the Macedonians. This is not just for the Corinthians. God's word is teaching us and correcting us and confronting us to give as the Macedonians are giving. To be a wonderful witness to the grace of God in our lives. And so this is the real issue. It's not the behavior. If you find yourself lacking generosity... This is not three steps to be more generous. If we're lacking that behavior, it's because we have a belief problem. Okay? <clears throat> so how do, we, how do we go about this? How do, we, how do we address the belief problem? And whatever the Bible calls us or commands us to do something, it also provides the means in which to do it. We need to remember that Christ is for us. And so if we're hearing a text and it's hard and we're not sure how to get there... The supply to get there is always in God's word. And if we look at verse 5, we're going to find out the truth of what the Macedonians knew and the truth that we need to know in order to be a witness moving forward in a generous way. Verse 5 says, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God. And so those few words there, right in the middle, they gave themselves first to the Lord. Before the Macedonian church collected $1, before they gave $1, they gave themselves first to the Lord. And that's the key truth. Their belonging, that was their identity. They gave themselves first to the Lord. And so what does that mean by first? A lot of times we think first and we think a a list of priorities, one, two, three, four, five. And, and okay, first priority is God. Second priority is my spouse. Third priority is, you know, we, we make those lists. That's not what this first means here. What this first means, there's another place in the Bible, in Matthew 
633, if you have that, if you have that up, this word first is used the same way. And if we look at Matthew, we're going to understand what Paul means by saying they gave themselves first to the Lord. And so what does Matthew 6.33 say? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Okay, so what doesn't it say? It doesn't say seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then seek second everything else. When it says all these things, what Matthew is talking about, he's actually recording Jesus' words. He's talking about what we're going to eat, where we're going to sleep, like the most basic things, the basic day-to-day needs of life. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then do what? And then trust God. It doesn't say seek first and then seek second. It says seek first. And so when it says first, it's not a list of priorities. This is a wholehearted, single-minded devotion. This is making a decision. It's an all-consuming. So when I say first, I'm saying opposed to. So maybe a, a simple analogy would be this. Let's say you have an hour and you have 10 errands that you need to run. And so you're going to prioritize those errands, right? You, you can prioritize them by the most urgent ones. You can prioritize them by what time the stores close. You know, you can make a, a map and, and whatever makes most sense. That's not the kind of first that Paul is describing here. What Paul is describing is, okay, I have 10 errands to run, and I only have enough time to run one. What's the one going to be? And so that's what he's saying by first. And so we're going to trust God, but, and, and there's something that wells up inside of us. Yeah, but, yeah, but what about, like, we don't get to ask those questions. We need to make a decision on what is first. And so this is a wholehearted, so this is not a prioritizing, this is a picking. You see the difference? We're not prioritizing a list. We are deciding to whom we belong. What we're really picking is a kingdom. One thing that's very clear in Scripture is there are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of heaven, governed by God, and there is the kingdom of this world, governed by Satan. And so, when we are saying first, they gave themselves first to the Lord, the Macedonians picked a team. They picked a kingdom. And by saying yes to the kingdom of God, what did they do? They turned their back on the kingdom of the world. And so to say yes to one, you're saying no to the other. And what happens in our world, and when our witnesses get all jacked up and get all anemic, is when we kind of have a foot pointed in each kingdom. Like, I'm going to try and walk down the middle. I'm going to prioritize, I'm going to say I love Jesus, but I'm really going to chase after everything the world has to offer. And the Macedonians didn't do this. They said, we're just all in for Jesus, whatever it costs us. And so that's where their witness comes from. That's why Paul is commending them. That's why Paul is saying, follow their example. If we look at, to reinforce this, if we look at Matthew 6.24, this idea of two kingdoms and one kingdom must be picked. So if we're not generous, if we're stingy, if we're close-hearted, if we have a hard time when someone wants to be generous, if we want to take a time out and we want to give them a stewardship lesson... That's a result of a belief problem. That's a result of, man, I don't know which kingdom I believe in. Matthew 6.24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. He created our hearts, he knows. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. 
You cannot serve God and money. So God is over here, and money is over here. Pick this day whom you will serve, says Joshua. 1 John 2, 15 and 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So I hope you're getting this picture that there, there are two kingdoms and there's a decision to make. And we don't get this middle, neutral, fuzzy ground. It doesn't exist. If we think we're walking in this, we're actually walking over here in the kingdom of the world. Because Christ and God are not going to settle for a half-hearted devotion, for lip service. Let me read you, um, just to drive this home, and, and it helped me a lot distinguish between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world in regards to generosity. This is from a, a pastor named A.W. Pink from years ago. Their orders, meaning the kingdom's orders, each kingdom has a king, their orders are diametrically opposed. The one commands you to walk by faith, the other to walk by sight. One to be humble, the other to be proud. One to set your affections on things above, the other to set them on things on the earth. The one to look at things unseen and eternal, and the other to look at things seen and temporal. The one to have your conversation in heaven, the other to cleave to the dust. The one to be careful for nothing, and the other to be full of anxiety. One to be content with such things as ye have, and the other to enlarge your desires as hell. One to be ready to distribute, the other to withhold. The one to look at the things of others, the other to look only on one's own things. The one to seek happiness in the creator, the other to seek happiness in the creature. Is it not plain that there is no serving such two masters? If you love one, you must hate the other. If you cleave to one, you must despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 1 John says, <clears throat> we don't come to Christ and win at the world. We come to Christ and we overcome the world. The world and all its desires are passing away. And when we are set free in Christ by the truth, we overcome the world. We don't use the world, we don't use Jesus to be successful in the world. We've turned our back on the priorities of the world. So we are set free. The gospel is good news. We are set free and so... We, can't, we don't want to be confused. When we see someone that's, that's successful and smart and dynamic and sophisticated and they're spending all their life, all of their energy, all of their time chasing after the priorities of the world and they're winning, we don't applaud that. We have pity on that. Why do we have pity on that? Because they're blind. That's an unregenerated, unsaved mind that is chasing after trinkets that are going to be on someone's garage sale. That is a wasted life. We are set free from that. So we pray for that person. We don't admire that person because that person is blind to what is true. We've been set free from all that anxiety. We don't have to, we don't play by the same set of rules. A kingdom-minded person does not play by the same set of values and priorities that a worldly-minded person plays by. I don't, this image comes to mind, but over here in the world, it's a sandbox. And there's two guys in it, and they're just throwing sand at each other. We don't get in the fight, right? We're set free from that nonsense. We're set free from anxiety, 
free from the worry. We seek first the kingdom of God. Why? Because we have a good father that we can trust to take care of us. So it is good news. And so what's the, what's the test? Which kingdom do we belong? There's a couple tests that come to mind. One is, what does our heart beat for? What really gets our heart going? If we succeed financially, or if we lose big financially, does it cause us great excitement and great loss of sleep? Or is it the promises of God? It's the fact that we are children of God, that our sin has been paid for at the cross, and that we are free and we have recipients of eternal life. Is that what stirs up our affection and gets us fired up? Paul says examine ourselves. It's not fun to examine ourselves. It's not fun to go to the doctor. But we must examine ourselves and see which kingdom we land in. The second test is our actions. We have this saying around our ministry that's, that's just been helpful and has been freeing for us. You know, talk is cheap. And so <clears throat> a lot of times we'll say, you know what, your actions are so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. You, know, you, you keep saying you love Jesus, but you're spending all your time, energy, passion, and love pursuing things of the world. So just like the pastor at the beginning of the service was tested by his elders, what do you truly believe? We're actually going to put a pile of cash in your hands and see what you do with it. What do you truly believe? Are you going to spend it selfishly? Are you going to buy a cabin? Are you going to buy a boat? Are you going to do whatever? Or are you going to invest it in ministering to the saints? and proclaiming the gospel and spreading the gospel. To which kingdom do we belong? So how does our heart beat and what are our actions? Our behavior is determined by our belonging, which is determined by our beliefs. So the real question for us today is, what do we truly believe is the truth? Do we believe that the world has something to offer us? Or do we believe our citizenship and our security is in heaven? Do we believe in the kingdom of the world or do we believe in the kingdom of God? And so what's the application for us? We self-examine and, and we just evaluate which kingdom we're in. Because if we don't take three steps to become a wonderful witness, you know who I never have to give three steps to? Is Tony. I never have to say, hey, will you do a bit better job of being generous with your money and, and telling people that you don't belong here, that you actually, your citizenship is in heaven? I never have to say that. Why? Paul didn't have to tell the Macedonians that. Why? Because they gave themselves first to the Lord. They knew who they belonged to. And so three steps don't help. If our, if our behavior is not generous, if our passion is not to help the saints that are suffering, and if our passion is not to see the gospel of Jesus Christ advanced, then that's indicative of something we believe that's wrong. And so we need to address the belief problem. And so I just want to have a couple of responses because we're, we're a mix here. You know, I don't, I don't know all of you and uh, we come from all over the place, but, but we probably fit into some categories. And I've had some people in my walk give me permission and so I want to bless you and I want to give you permission. If you find yourself passionately, wholeheartedly devoted to the kingdom of God, I want to tell you, get out of first gear, get into fifth gear and go. 
The world is dying. I just saw a thing a little bit ago. 47,000 people are going to die of poverty and hunger today. Today. Without the good news of Jesus Christ. So it's not that there's not a need. We're just asleep to it. We're, we're too busy over here playing with our trinkets. But if this is you, if you are like, how can I, how can I do more? I want to do more. My heart is beating for the kingdom of God. Man, pedal to the metal. Let's go. Let's get to heaven spent, bloodied and ragged and missing limbs and broke. Let's get there, out of breath. That's a life well lived. If you find yourself over here, in love, I want to say repent. You belong to the wrong kingdom. Turn to Christ. Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Turn to Christ. He is waiting for you to turn to him, and he has a spot for you in his kingdom. We repent, and we confess, and we ask for help, and we say, Jesus, help my unbelief. And the third category is this, this lukewarm. Please, if you hear nothing else, there, there is no such category. There is no third category. You're in the kingdom of the world or we're in the kingdom of God. So if you're lukewarm and loving it, you're in trouble. So how do we know? How do we know when this has happened? When do we know that we've been completely transformed? And so I often say about Tony, there is not a dollar that passes through that man's hands that he doesn't want to give away to somebody else. He really doesn't. So if you take a dollar, let's say you have a dollar in your pocket, and every dollar that passes through my hands, when I know that I belong to the kingdom of heaven, the question of what I'm going to do with this dollar changes. It changes from, how can I, how can I spend this on me? What can I get for this? To, how can I leverage this for the glory of God and the good of others? You see the difference between the two questions? So which kingdom do we belong? Choose this day whom you will serve. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for telling us what is true. Thank you for not leaving us on our own to interpret it and digest it. Like, thank you for explaining it to us, and I pray that you would do a work in us. I pray that you would help us see, and I pray that you would help us be wonderful witnesses to the grace that you have given us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.